0: My husband and I have lived in our current house since 2015, so that makes it about six years now. And we told ourselves when we moved into this neighborhood that we were going to be good neighbors and we were going to get to know everyone who lived around us. And then we ended up introducing ourselves to one family, kind of kitty corner across the street. And then three years went by and that family moved away and we basically met no one else. And... Even though we had never been, like, mean neighbors, you know, we were always giving those friendly waves to people as they passed by and smiling. But honestly, after those three years, we realized that despite the smiles, we had really been pretty bad neighbors. We didn't know anybody, and then the idea of going out and meeting them now after these three years had gone by was a bit embarrassing. But we decided to suck it up and embrace any deserved humiliation that could potentially come as penance. And we finally made cookies, and then we delivered them to the neighbors on our street so that we could introduce ourselves. And as we met them, they would often say, oh, did you just move into the neighborhood? To which we would smile and say, yeah, three years ago. We are a good example of how not to be a good neighbor. And I think these days it's probably become more common to live life in this kind of a way, to stay home and and not really bother to get to know the people around us. And of course, being locked up during the pandemic didn't help that at all. So maybe that's why when a person is not like that, they have a tendency to really stand out among the crowd. Today's story is about one of those people who stood out. Well, really, it's about two people who stood out, but for different reasons, and how their actions impacted not only each other, but those around them. Thanks for being here. I'm Jolie Hales, and this is Podsitivity. Just a few miles south of Disneyland is this little town called Tustin, 11 square miles housing around 80,000 residents in mostly middle-class neighborhoods and apartment complexes. An average Orange County city, you could say. About 12 miles inland from the beaches, Tustin is really neither home to the wealthiest in Southern California, but it's also not home to the slums either. And with its small geographical size, when it's compared to its neighbors like Irvine or Santa Ana, it's easy to miss the city's only two exits when you're driving on the 5 freeway. But if you do manage to take a Tustin exit and drive through the town, you might find yourself in Tustin Meadows, a 900-home neighborhood built in a large oval with these offshoot cul-de-sacs lined with these really tall trees surrounding a big green park at its hub. It felt to me when you pulled in the circle,
1: like the East Coast, because of the very tall green trees. That's
0: Jen. She's lived there since 1998. So it was supposed to be like a five-year plan house. Built in 1968 as one of the first residential neighborhoods in the area at the time, Tustin Meadows has spent most of its five-plus decades as a tight-knit community, hosting parades, fun runs, and community events pretty much all year long, often for the entire city. And as you may have guessed, what were originally $20,000 average-sized homes in 1968, which is crazy to think about, $20,000 home in Southern California. But these $20,000 homes have now appreciated to modern Southern California home prices of anywhere between half a million and even nearing a million dollars and with its residents having bought into the market at all different times, including the lucky ones who bought in early and then they just watched their home value increase by literally more than 2,000%. Yeah! And beyond the financial value, there's this, like, neighborliness about Tustin Meadows, if that's a word. People walk their dogs at sunset, they wave to each other in passing, kids ride their bikes up and down the cul-de-sacs or play basketball at the park. It's what you might picture as the kind of American neighborhood that you would want to raise a family in, and many have.
2: We had no roof on our house, July sixteenth, 1995. That's Liz, another long-term resident of Tustin Meadows. She and her
0: husband, Don, moved into a major fixer-upper in 1995 when Liz
2: was pregnant with her daughter. We had a torrential downpour. It was raining inside my house we had new carpeting we had new paint we had new drywall and i woke up going oh darn it Mm -hmm. and flying out of bed and my husband gets out of bed and we go running outside and we're like oh my gosh and we grab whatever tarps we had and he's up on a ladder trying to throw tarps over the rafters it was one in the morning super
0: dark super stormy And Don and Liz thought their entire house, with all their hard work, would inevitably be destroyed in this massive storm. That's until their neighbors started showing up at the house from two blocks around, additional tarps in hand.
2: And we had probably 14 people climbing all over the roof of our house to get our house covered before the whole interior got ruined in the middle of the night. It was ridiculous. It saved the house.
0: Without the help of the neighbors, they didn't even really know yet they pretty much would have been left homeless overnight.
2: That pretty much cemented the deal for us as far as this being a a real community, a real neighborhood, people actually caring about one another. Um, Not some strangers just driving by and driving into the driveway and closing their door and not even acknowledging people.
0: But if you would have walked through Tustin Meadows in those days, one person in particular would have caught your eye. Someone who, shall we say, stood out.
2: was always in his uh, garage with the door open, sitting in his lawn chair at the top of the driveway, usually drinking a beer, talking to anybody who would stop and talk to him. Bruno Allegri,ni a perpetually single retired
0: Boeing engineer who had immigrated to the United States from Italy younger in life, the original owner of his 1968 house on Westfall Road. While much of the neighborhood was doing what suburban families do, like having barbecues on the weekends and going to work during the week, Bruno spent most of his waking hours sitting in front of his open garage, wearing nothing but shorts so small that crammed under his tan belly and hairy chest, it looked like he wasn't wearing anything at all. What little hair he had left on the sides of his head had lightened with his more than 80 years of age, and he just sat on this beat up old lawn chair watching people pass by his house for hours and hours and hours, all the time. Some neighbors, like Don and Liz, who lived directly across the street, We're happy to exchange a friendly hello or hear a quick story told through Bruno's Italian accent.
2: When he found out it was our anniversary, he asked us to come on over and he was going to open a bottle of champagne. And he did, but the champagne was so old that it was flat when he opened the bottle. And we're sitting there sipping and Don and I are looking at each other going, you know, but it was still, it was sweet. You know, we didn't want to hurt his feelings because it's just a sweet, he was just a sweet jester. He just wanted to... You know, give us a toast.
0: But others in the neighborhood had had run-ins with Bruno that hadn't been so pleasant. Some had heard an off-color remark from him or grown uncomfortably accustomed to the various women that he would bring to the house who were at least half his age.
2: He drove a Corvette, a brand new Corvette every year. And he was he was buff for an old dude.
0: Others found his sort of spray painted cement combined with ceramic homemade front yard to be a very bizarre eyesore that even potentially lowered the property values of other homes around him or found him difficult to understand through his thick accent or had had a fast falling out over some neighbor dispute. After all, Bruno could be quick to speak his mind no matter what he thought of you. And some people didn't like that.
2: He was Italian, he didn't didn't, uh, suffer fools lightly. You know what, if you were dead or did something stupid, he's gonna call you on it.
0: At the time Bruno was in his 80s, Westfall Road was this bustling family haven with children of all different ages, growing up in many of the houses in this long cul-de-sac of Westfall Road. With kids and pregnant mothers and homes all around him, Bruno was clearly different than his neighbors. He was quite an interesting fellow, but he was kind of
1: odd man out, I think, for a while because everybody was young, you know, working, families, stay-at-home
2: moms. And all of us moms were all pregnant and walking on the street all around the same time. It was kind of funny. There used to be a ton of kids on the street. And surrounded by all these families was half-naked
0: old Bruno sitting on his driveway watching everyone. We didn't know how to take
1: him when we first met him because we were young ourselves and you don't always have an appreciation
0: when you're young like for... Different kinds of people. Jen, who was in her early 20s and just starting a family at the time, lived in the house directly next door to Bruno. We didn't really know
1: that much about him. We were just kind of like, oh, it's Bruno. Oh, it's Bruno. You know, I think we kind of like steered clear of him because, I mean, Bill, my ex, and I were just kind of always like a little afraid. Not really afraid, but we just thought he was like kind of creepy,
0: sort of. For one, there were always these
1: strong smells coming from the house. Every time he'd open that door, like it would be, ooh Like this cloud of, like, garlic or
0: something that would just emanate out the door. And beyond just odd things like the smell, Bruno was also suspected of doing a few things that,
1: let's just say, people weren't stoked about. Like, one time, we found
0: a dead possum in her backyard. Apparently, Bruno had made comments about how he was sick of these possums eating all the fruit from the trees in his backyard... And he said he intended to do something about it. The next thing Jen knew, there was a massive, like, three-foot-long dead possum in her backyard with no sign of how it died, leading them to suspect that it may have been poisoned. I think that
1: maybe was probably one of the reasons why we thought he was creepy, because he, like, you know killed or we think that he killed the possum we don't know we don't know if it was him or not but we surmise it may have been just because i mean he was like you know like ah, i'll take care of that for you you know that sort of thing
0: having lived in his two-bedroom spanish-roofed house for ages bruno was a staple of westfall road every neighbor knew he was there and most neighbors were most comfortable keeping their distance from his watchful gaze But if you did get the chance to get close enough to Bruno, you would have noticed him looking at you with these piercing blue eyes. Eyes that stood out in stark contrast to his tan, leathery Italian skin. Eyes that seemed to see right into your soul. Making adults pretend to be looking elsewhere if they caught a glimpse. Or making children just kind of stare in curiosity. That was old Bruno, the staple of Westfall Road. So the neighborhood families carried on their lives around him, usually leaving Bruno where he seemed to be most comfortable, by himself. For a while, that is. In the year 2000, a new family moved into the house a few houses away from Bruno. A dad, Brian, a mom, Sherry, and their four kids. Each one of them was honestly humongous. And I'm not talking like horizontally, but in terms of height, Towering at 6 feet 8 inches with his wife at 6 foot 1, Brian's family was this gaggle of athletes. And by the way, the word gaggle is really fun to say. You should use it sometime.
3: We both played basketball.
0: That's Brian.
3: But all of our kids have played volleyball.
0: At the time they moved into the neighborhood, Sherry had this full-time law career while Brian worked part-time and he also stayed home with the kids, which allowed him some time to basically stick around in the neighborhood. And it allowed him a lot of time to notice the tan Italian octogenarian sitting on the driveway a few doors down.
3: I had observed Bruno a few times just hanging out, you know, doing yard work and and that in his his front yard. But I never hit cross paths with him. Usually when I would see him, I would observe him from, you know, my vehicle as I was driving home or driving out.
0: From the moment Brian moved in, his more than six and a half feet of charity incarnate sort of made him this ambassador-like figure in the neighborhood. People who know him have told me that he easily made friends with everyone and did so completely out of the genuine belief that people are each individually important and honestly worth knowing. And he wasn't just someone to wave to, he was someone who would come and help you move a washing machine, lend you tools, or let your kids borrow toys. There were even stories of kids that would just wander into his house and play with the toys in the living room and they would see the kid just there and they were totally fine to smile and call the parents and let them know where they were. (laughs) He would offer to give you a ride somewhere or just sit and listen to you talk about, let's say, the crazy drama with that one weird uncle that you have or something. He's just one of those people who naturally cares about others.
2: Oh, when well, we bought the washer and dryer, Don needed somebody's help. And I said, call Brian. I go, he'll help you because he I don't want to back. I said, sweetie, call Brian. He'll help you. And I said, and if he can't, he'll bring a truckload of people who can. You know, he will. We've you've helped him so often. He's more than happy. He's the kind of person.
0: When I asked Brian what living in Tustin Meadows was like, he spoke for a solid 10 minutes about how amazing everyone else who lived there was.
3: The Vaux family, they were awesome. I love the Vaux family.
0: Not long after moving into Tustin Meadows, Brian would sometimes walk down the street to help a quadriplegic neighbor get ready for the day if there was an occasion where the caretaker couldn't be there or something. On one such morning, Brian stepped out of his house to head over and help this friend, and he had only made it a few houses down the street when he stopped. There, in front of a little two-bedroom house, was a tan, shirtless, elderly man wrestling with a giant cactus.
3: He was trying to upright this huge cactus that he had in his front yard, and it was probably about, you know, 20 feet tall. It was Bruno.
0: And although Bruno was uncharacteristically muscular for his age, This cactus appeared to be winning the fight, so Brian immediately offered to help.
3: He just said, I don't need any help, you know, like, you know, just like, I got this.
0: Remember, Bruno was a retired engineer. He had spent his life solving problems. He didn't need someone else stepping on his toes, even if it meant death by cactus.
3: I'm like, well, I'm gonna help you anyways, you know, because I observed what he was trying to do. He really needed an extra set of hands.
0: So Brian stepped in and was able to hold the cactus in place while Bruno secured the wire setup he had engineered for this giant prickly plant.
3: That was actually the first time I, I ever had spoken to him and interacted with him directly, but was just trying to help him out. It wasn't a long interaction. It was just like, here, let me help you. And, but it was enough to, to kind of start the relationship with, with Bruno from that point on.
0: Bruno didn't shower Brian with thanks for this help with the cactus. On the contrary, Brian can't actually remember if Bruno said anything to him at all. Maybe a grunt or something. But whether or not Bruno initially was ready to welcome it, Brian was then determined to get to know this neighbor of his. This neighbor everyone knew about, but nobody really seemed to actually know.
3: There were just many times where I, Bruno was just sitting out in the garage. I just walk over there and I... would he had another old crappy fold up chair you know that uh, i just unfold and set it up right next to his and just sit down and you know shoot the breeze with him and just like how's it going you know what's what's going on and and then that's where it just kind of just built more of a relationship with him and just asking questions you know about him like who is he you know what's he about
0: and as days became weeks which became months Bruno didn't ever yell Brian off the property or feed him possum poison, thank goodness, which was a good sign. In fact, Brian suspected, although Bruno would always try to kind of hide it, he actually appreciated this new friendship.
3: It got to the point where I was almost going over there daily just to check on him. You know, how are you doing? You need anything? And he liked the company, too. Sometimes it was a, a 10 minute visit. Sometimes it, it could be you know a couple hour visit it just depends on what was going on in his life and what was going on in you know our life.
0: And to give you a bigger picture, let me tell you more about Brian. <laughs> So Brian grew up in Prescott, Arizona, which is this retirement community about 100 miles north of Phoenix. And it's said to be known for its historic Whiskey Row of bars and music venues. But I think more people just know it as the retirement community north of Phoenix. (laughs) And just to give you an idea, Prescott is four times Tustin's geographical size, but contains half of Tustin's population. So you could almost say people were a little more spread out when Brian was growing up. I say almost because Brian is the middle child of, and you're seriously not going to believe this, 14 children.
3: I have 11 sisters and I got two brothers, same parents, no twins.
0: <laughs> I almost fell over when he told me that.
3: I called home last week and my dad thought I was still downstairs. He didn't realize I'd moved out of the house yet. You know, So <laughs> just kidding. That's an old joke.
0: And Brian's parents, let's be honest, bless them both with a thousand blessings, <laughs> raised their 14 children. Okay, I can't say that with a straight face. That is so mind blowing to me. 14 children. Okay, anyway, they raised all of these children to believe in the importance of kindness, that there's this power in helping other people.
3: Even if it's just a little thing, just when you take a little bit of time and, and effort to help someone, even though they might not communicate it well or express appreciation. You know, it still makes you feel good inside that you know that you're doing something good to help help them out.
0: And not only was that a philosophy Brian had always lived by, but this actually wasn't the first time he had befriended an elderly gentleman. As a teenager growing up in an Arizona retirement community, Brian was surrounded by the elderly. In fact, one particular man in his 80s ended up becoming his best friend. The man's name was Marlo.
3: There wasn't a lot to do sometimes, and so I'd just go hang out with Marlo. He'd be out in his garage every afternoon, building his little models that he'd build. Marlo was a, a fun, you know, interesting guy. And as a teenage kid, I would love to ask him questions, and he just, I think he liked the company. So we, we were a good pair.
0: So years later, when he was living in Tustin Meadows, Befriending the elderly man down the street didn't really seem foreign to him at all.
3: I was very comfortable around older people. So when I met Bruno, to me, it was like, it was almost hanging out with Marlo again.
0: And over time, Brian started to get a lot out of this friendship with Bruno.
3: He was funny. You know, he's just kind of a fun guy to hang around. And I was always just, I like to listen to his stories too, that he, you know, had to tell. He loved gardening, I loved gardening. So he would always show me and you know, different things around his his uh, yard that I could relate to, you know. So we found those connections and just built the relationship from there.
0: He learned more and more about Bruno as Bruno opened up more and more. He learned that until his knees had made it impossible, Bruno had loved to dance. His whole life had apparently been spent dancing. So many evenings he went out dancing or he even taught dance classes, all different types of dance, line dancing, salsa, you name it. Apparently he did it. In fact, Brian eventually saw that the front living room area of Bruno's house had been converted into a dance studio, hard floors and all. He also learned Bruno's weakness for nice shoes, expensive cars, although he couldn't drive them anymore in his 80s. And as you would guess by the constant cycle of visitors over the years, his other weakness was women.
2: He did like the ladies and the ladies liked
0: him.
3: I know sometimes he would say some things that that my wife would probably cringe at a little bit, but it was Bruno, you know? It's like, I won't make any excuses, but that's who he was. Bruno was Bruno. You're not going to change someone when they live their whole life a certain way.
0: But despite his love for the ladies, Bruno never married. And as far as Brian knew, he had always lived alone. But when Brian introduced his family to Bruno, he could see love for them in his piercing blue eyes.
3: He would do anything for our kids. Like, anytime time we came over, Bruno would stock his freezer with not just like the, the half pint, you know, ice creams, but he'd buy those big gallon size tubs of ice cream and his freezer would be packed with as many tubs of those ice creams that he could put in there. Because every time we came over, you know, if the kids were with me, it was always ice cream time. It didn't matter if it was like a half hour before dinner time. Bruno would insist that the kids have ice cream.
0: When Brian's kids drew pictures for Bruno, Bruno used this kind of steel tape to make frames for the pictures and then he hung them in his garage.
2: They just started treating him like a member of the family and just human compassion. General respect and kindness for an elderly person who needs help, hello. I mean, but there should be more of that, I wish.
3: We had him over for dinner a few times, but Bruno was kind of shy about that. He always felt like he was an inconvenience. Like, it. I, I sense that. I don't know if, if he felt that a little bit, but it seemed like he would come over, but then he'd want to leave as soon as possible. But that's fine.
0: And while gruff Bruno always stayed gruff Bruno, There was a softness to him that Brian saw on more than one occasion.
3: The line Bruno would always tell me, I'm not going to do it justice here, but he's like, Brian, you have such a beautiful family. (laughs) He's like, and I'm not doing justice to it, but he... You always say, you're such a beautiful family.
0: (laughs) Other neighbors watched Brian befriend Bruno with this kind of curiosity. Somehow this six foot eight softy had broken through this barrier that everyone assumed had been impenetrable or at minimum undesirable. They occasionally asked questions to Brian about Bruno and Brian tried to help them understand who was really behind this hardened exterior.
3: I think Bruno kind of came across a little rough sometimes and I think it turned a lot of people off but once you really got to know Bruno he he just had a real tender heart you know just he was a good guy
2: he may have come across as rather irascible and cranky but he's an old man he's an Italian and he's seen a lot of stuff in his life I'd be cranky too <laughs> as the years
0: went by Jen Bruno's next door neighbor got used to seeing Brian at Bruno's house, checking in on Bruno and making sure that he was doing all right. Brian just, he's a very
1: calm person. And I think Brian also has a lot of tolerance and patience for people who are different than himself. And I just think he was in that space to know that Bruno needed help and was intuitive enough to be able to extend himself despite the fact that brian's got like four or five kids and you know is juggling work and family and stuff like that but he was always after that very much over here like every day and i don't i don't know what he did like we just kept seeing him come and go come and go come and go you know and we never thought anything of it except that's nice it's great that he's checking on him
3: bruno always just made you feel welcome you know, There's, there's times he did have his bad days too you know when he was a little grumpy, and I'd just be like, hey, Bruno, you're not having a good day today. I'll, I'll come back and see you tomorrow. And the next day he'd be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm like, it's all good, Bruno.
0: After seeing Brian spend so much time looking out for Bruno, A few other neighbors began to kind of warm up to Bruno a bit more. I think over the years, he kind of grew on us. Jen had just installed a new fountain in her yard, and when Bruno saw it, he immediately wanted one of his own. I think he had lost his
1: license. He had this, like, fancy sport car, too, and he couldn't drive it anymore. So anyways, he's like, you, you, you you take me to go get the fountain. And I said, yeah, I can take you, you know, I'll drive you. So I, you know, brought him in the car and took him and he bought his fountain. That was the most Jen and Bruno had ever spoken. We tried to have a conversation in the car, you know, but again, it, it was broken English. But he's was, he was nice. He's sweet. He's just, I think he's just misunderstood. You know, he was like the old guy, you know, like, ah.
0: About eightish or so years after Brian moved into the neighborhood, when Bruno was in his early 90s at this point, Brian's work in healthcare staffing took him out of town for a few days. And when he came home, he noticed that Bruno's garage door was shut, which was
3: odd. I came home and I asked my wife, Sherry, if she had observed Bruno being out in the garage at all the last couple of days that I was gone. And she said, no. And I had driven by Bruno's. Again, Bruno's garage was like open almost daily. Even if he was you know, not sitting out in the garage, you know, usually he would leave the garage door open most of the time.
0: Brian immediately thought that was strange. After all these years of knowing Bruno, a closed garage for a few days in a row was definitely suspicious.
3: I went over and I, I knocked on the door and r- rang the doorbell. But uh, Bruno at this, you know, this is when he was a little bit older and and his hearing sometimes wasn't always the best. And so I thought, oh, maybe he can't hear or maybe he's out in the backyard. And I looked over the fence to see if he was working in the garden.
0: An easy feat when you're six foot eight.
3: And I didn't observe him in the backyard. Uh, So I jumped the fence and I went around to, the backside of Bruno's house.
0: I love how casually Brian can just jump a fence when a person like me who's five foot three would need like a whole fire truck and crew to get me over that fence, I swear. But maybe that's why the universe chose Brian for this and not somebody like me. But I digress. So Brian ran around the back of the house where there were these two sets of big sliding glass doors that led into the kitchen area. Brian peered in through the glass and then he looked around. And then his eye caught some slight movement. It was Bruno, lying flat on the ground on his back near the kitchen cabinets. Bruno, conscious but unable to move apparently much at all, immediately saw Brian's face in the glass.
3: Bruno's eyes, those blue eyes just shot right at me. And he sees me. And he moused the word help, and I'm like, okay, I got to get in this house.
0: Brian quickly scoured the area for entry options. The doors and windows were locked, and he couldn't break the sliding glass door because he would get glass all over Bruno in the process. So he ran back out front, banged on Jen's door, and told her to call 911. Brian is such a
1: cool cucumber all the time like to see him panicked like that was like oh my god there must
0: be something really wrong Brian ran back around the house checking other doors and windows for a way into the house but all of them were locked the last place he checked was Bruno's front master bedroom window and as luck would have it it was open but there was a problem the open window was covered in steel bars It must have been the only window in the safe neighborhood of 900 homes that actually had bars on it. Nobody else had bars on their windows that I'm aware of. Which showed how determined Bruno may have been just to keep people out. But now it was blocking Brian from reaching Bruno in this time of need. By now, Brian's adrenaline was pumping and he wasn't about to give up on his friend.
3: I literally just grabbed the bars and I tore them from the wood mountings on the house and just bent them all the way back.
0: In a moment of Hulk-like strength, Brian had pulled the six by six and a half foot steel frame of window bars right off the wood frame, climbed in the window, and ran into the house. He found a weak Bruno on the floor in the kitchen, barely able to talk or move. With the sound of sirens approaching outside, Brian carefully placed a pillow under Bruno's head and a towel over his undressed body. He
3: wasn't in a good physical state at that point. He was conscious, like he was coherent, he you know was aware that I was there, but you could tell his voice was dry and raspy like he was severely dehydrated. And so they, they think, you know, that maybe he had been there for more than a day.
0: The fire department, which was located next to the neighborhood, arrived quickly and took over, rushing Bruno to a nearby hospital. It turned out Bruno had had a stroke at least a day or two earlier and had been lying on the cold kitchen tile alone all this time. Brian joined Bruno at the hospital, where he was surprised to see doctors looking to him for guidance on Bruno's
3: treatment. People would ask me if I was family. They're like, are you family? can you make these medical decisions for Bruno? And I, I have to tell him, no, I, I'm not.
0: The truth was, Bruno didn't have any family in the United States. He did have one sister and a niece, but they were still living back in Italy. The trustee for Bruno's trust was his accountant.
3: But when they asked Bruno who he trusts and who he would wants to make the decisions for him, he pointed directly at me, you know, he's like, that's who I want. And they actually let me make decisions from from there after, you know, we signed a few paperwork and so forth.
0: Bruno survived that stroke. And after a few months in rehabilitation, he was fortunate to pretty much make a full recovery, even while in his early 90s at the time. And the relationship of trust that had been built between Bruno and Brian was as strong as it had ever been. That's when Bruno, who had no family within thousands of miles, asked Brian to be a trustee for him, someone who would legally manage his assets on Bruno's behalf. Bruno knew he wasn't going to be around forever, and he trusted Brian to distribute his finances and assets to his family in Italy after his passing. Brian, knowing the large responsibility that was placed before him, didn't hesitate to say yes. After all, in a way, he had pretty much become the family that Bruno had never had even throwing him these cute little birthday parties to celebrate each additional year of Bruno's life through his 90s and through all of this Bruno of course was still Bruno
3: Bruno actually got mad at me later for bending his bars you know so he actually wanted me to pay to <laughs> to to have a, a like a what do you call those the steel worker guys uh, to fix it? You know, I'm like Bruno. I, I helped save your life a little bit, but you could show a little bit of appreciation. But that was Bruno. You know, it just that's the kind of personality he, he had.
0: Even after recovering from the stroke, age did begin to catch up with Bruno, and his body basically weakened more with each passing year. And every day, Brian was there to check in on him, talk with him, see to his needs, and even found and arranged for a trusted caretaker to stay with him when it became necessary.
1: Now that I know, like, what's involved in taking care of somebody who's elderly, like, that is just amazing that he found that space as a person to not be selfish and to be expansive, to knowing that somebody needed help and to be able to deliver it on a consistent basis. Bruno knew he wasn't going to be
0: around forever, so he began making plans.
3: Bruno being an engineer was super, super organized. I mean, he had everything just written out. You've never seen anyone's like address book be so precise and organized and structured. All of his finances and everything were just super structured. And so everything was just in place, really.
0: His only niece, the daughter of his only sister, even flew out from Italy to stay with Bruno for a week or so to help get the finances and the plans in order for the day that would inevitably come.
3: When Bruno first met her, he was kind of rude to her. I'm like, Bruno, your niece just traveled all the way from Italy. You need to show her more respect. In that. So that's Bruno. You got to kind of earn his respect. Since
0: Bruno's niece only spoke Italian, they utilized the help of Bruno, Google Translate, and a former LDS missionary who had served their mission in Italy to help Bruno's niece understand what this plan was going to be.
3: He just outlined to both of us this is what's going to happen.
0: All of the financials were going to go to Bruno's family in Italy his niece, her son, and his sister. He had the estate company picked out, even a plot at Santa Ana Cemetery, plot number 96. And he disclosed another detail. He wanted Brian to have his house. It surprised Brian to hear that. He wasn't expecting anything in return for their friendship, and he even felt a little bit uncomfortable accepting such a gift. But he could see in Bruno's piercing blue eyes that he wanted to give his home to his friend.
3: It was a nice gesture like with Bruno I never asked for anything you know I just was trying to be a, a good friend to him and he just made it clear like he always did you know he he wanted me just to follow what guidance and direction that he he gave me so he he just made it clear like Brian he's like I want all of my assets to go to my family and he told me like this account is for this this account is for that. Like, you know, he had a tax account, he had a pension account, he had an investment account. It
0: turns out Bruno was actually quite wealthy, having strategically invested in stocks for years, and then only basically spending money on shoes, Corvettes, and wooing women.
3: And so forth, he just kind of just laid it all out. And then he's like, I want you to have the house.
1: I don't think Brian ever thought in a million years he'd get a house out of the deal, (laughs) right? I Brian has just got that personality, but because he also was able to fit Bruno in with raising a family.
0: Brian was touched. He felt like protesting further, but not only did he really desire to fulfill his old friend's wishes, but it became clear to him that Bruno's few family members, who all still lived back in Italy, honestly didn't have any interest in having the house.
3: When the niece stayed at Bruno's house, she said that she was scared the whole night, she, she said that she slept with a broom in her hands because she felt like a, the neighborhood was unsafe. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, it's really not that unsafe. It's actually a very safe neighborhood.
0: Not only was the family-filled Southern California neighborhood terrifying to this woman who had spent her life on a quaint Italian farm right off of a European postcard, but the legal process with the finances and Bruno's estate were complicated enough. Brian felt like Bruno's family was actually happy to let the last
2: tie to this unsafe place go. And I don't think the niece ever gave them of any kind of difference. She says, yes, my uncle has shared with me what you've done. You deserve the house. Take the house. I mean, she's in Italy. She didn't need the house.
0: And eventually, other neighbors did find out about this gift that had been bestowed upon Brian. I think everybody was surprised when we found out about that. We were like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Everyone I've spoken to who knew Brian and Bruno had nothing but positive things to say about the gesture. Just kind of an
1: interesting, like, twist of the story. Here's your house
2: in Southern California. (laughs)
1: Like,
2: that's a pretty significant gift. They were given this house because of what they did for him. Then, by God, they deserve it. They earned it.
0: Over time, Bruno's garage opened less and less. His old lawn chair sat empty, and Bruno spent more and more of his time in bed, tired, and knowing his living days were numbered.
3: We used to joke a lot. Bruno believed in in an afterlife, but Bruno was Catholic.
0: And Brian was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or LDS for short.
3: I always would joke with Bruno, I'm like, Bruno, just in case, you know, if you get to the other side, and if some missionaries come talk to you you know just please promise me you'll be receptive you know of their message you know and i told him if if i have it all wrong and the catholic church is the right faith i'm like bruno you better come find me you know and help me out (laughs) and then it's funny because bruno's caregiver Towards the end of his life, he was a, a born again. So we would loop him into the joke and say, you know, okay, if we both got it wrong, you better come help us. You know, just fun discussions like that. But I definitely believe that that Bruno believed in God and uh, believed that the end of life just wasn't it. You know, that there was more purpose to this life than just this.
0: Then, at the age of 96, Bruno woke up not feeling well. So Brian and his caretaker called the paramedics to take Bruno to the hospital. Just like before, Brian joined his friend at the hospital, watching over him as he had for so many years. After spending time hearing the beep of this heart monitor in the background, Brian left the hospital to attend his daughter's elementary school play.
3: And afterwards, like, I got a call just saying that that, uh, Bruno had passed.
0: While Brian watched his daughter's performance, Bruno had said goodbye to this life.
3: It actually surprised me that, it it bummed me a little bit that I I wanted to be there for Bruno when he passed, but it just didn't work out that way. So uh, I went over there immediately and said my goodbyes and and then also just made all the arrangements for his funeral services and everything. So it was, I mean, 96. It was a good life, you know, he fought the fight, and, but it it was it was time.
0: Brian saw to the funeral arrangements based on Bruno's wishes.
3: It was small. It was the good neighbors of our neighborhood and that was about it.
0: With the little family he had far overseas and the few old friends Bruno had had in life already long gone, only Brian and a couple dozen people from Tustin Meadows gathered at the Santa Ana Cemetery to say goodbye to Bruno. And even though Bruno had blessed Brian with a tangible gift when he died, a gift that would help bless his family financially for years to come, that wasn't the real gift in Brian's eyes.
3: It was about just being a friend to Bruno. and if if there was no house, it would have been okay. I' still cherish, you know, the friendship that we have. And I look forward to, you know, that friendship with with Bruno, you know, carrying on past his life
0: today, Brian still smiles when he thinks of Bruno wrestling with a giant cactus. Or how he wanted Brian to pay for the steel bars he had ripped off the house while saving his life. Or how he thought that the green and brown spray paint only served to enhance the homemade cement slash ceramic eyesore that Bruno called a front yard.
3: He had built this like little (laughs) like cement rock you know that he had built himself where he took individual rocks and placed them in cement to create like designs. And and then he'd build like little mountains and he would set these like little sculpture things on it, you know, like ceramics, rabbits and deers and stuff. He said he won some award for it at one point in time, but I always kind of questioned that from Bruno. But Bruno loved it because he said that kids would be drawn to it and I think Bruno just enjoyed just seeing them find a little pleasure in, in climbing on the rocks and stuff like that. But I told Bruno, I'm like, Bruno, just so you know, I'm going to rip that whole thing out when you're gone. And I'm going to put in a nice grass there and he... He's like, I don't care, I'll be gone.
0: Bruno's front sculptures were almost as impressionable on the neighborhood as he was. He would ask us, how do you like my garden? Not wanting to hurt Bruno's feelings, but not wanting to lie to him either? Liz and Dawn would pick out the one ceramic statue that they liked. The statue of two intertwined cockatoos because it used to remind them of the umbrella-crested cockatoo that they had had when they were first married. And we go, our favorite part of your garden is your birds. And after Bruno died, Brian did as he promised Bruno, replacing the front slabs of spray-painted cement and ceramics with a lush green lawn. But he didn't just do it
2: haphazardly. He surgically removed the bird statue, and he gave it to us, which I thought was super sweet. And I'm so careful with that that statue that I stood it up against the house with rocks all around the base so it can't get knocked over. Cause it means a lot to me. It means a lot to Don, you know? And I think about Bruno every time I see it, and which is daily.
0: I asked Brian how his friendship with Bruno had helped shape his perspective.
3: I think that, you know, just getting to know your neighbors, it, it's important. You know, just that's where you live and you, you, you should know who your neighbors are. And I, I feel like if you ever wanna get to know your neighbors, you just get out in your front yard and do some gardening. And I guarantee you that as as people go by, they're going to stop and it's going to open up conversations. And it's a great way to know your neighbors.
0: Especially if you're trying to plant a giant cactus. And one more thing, since most of these early podcast episodes are pretty much pulled from my own circle of family and friends experiences, because uh, that's who I have access to... <laughs> I should probably tell you how I came across this story. I actually know Brian because he's my landlord, which means that my husband, toddler, two dogs, and I actually live in Bruno's old house, which is, by the way, still decorated with that old 1968 tile floor. I actually wrote this story in the second bedroom of the house. I interviewed people in the now carpeted room that was once Bruno's dance studio. His old license plate and name placard are actually hanging in my garage. And I'm recording this right now from Bruno's master bedroom closet, which has become my impromptu and very professional podcasting studio. Jen, Liz, and Dawn are some of those neighbors that my husband and I finally got to know after living like recluses for three years in this neighborhood, and they are awesome humans, and we definitely kick ourselves for not getting to know them sooner. When we first rented this house, Brian and his family actually still lived a few houses down the street. And as soon as you met them, you knew exactly what kind of people they were. They were the kind who would give you the shirt off their backs. I mean, it wasn't until later that we learned about how he actually came to own this house. And while it was a bit of a surprise to hear what had happened just because the circumstances were so unique,
2: it really wasn't a surprise that it had happened to Brian. Brian and Sherry probably represent the best part of that human nature that best part of of being a human being treating people with compassion and de- and respect and decency and not treating them like a stupid old man and pushing them to the side
3: everywhere you go there's good people and uh, just if you take the time to to get to know them again it enriches your life and you know i think it makes you a better person when you see the good qualities you know that other people have
0: I've mentioned this before, but I started this podcast project because I keep feeling like we could all use a bit more hope, a bit more reminders of the good moments and the the good people in our lives. People just like Brian and Sherry and the countless others who are out there doing good all around us without seeking a reward or even probably getting much attention at all. So if you have a story or experience that's about kindness or hope, forgiveness or just something all around uplifting and you'd be willing to share your story, please go to the Podsitivity Facebook page and fill out the Google form listed there. Uh, I really believe that uplifting moments happen a lot more than we realize. They just don't get a lot of attention. They don't really get a spotlight very often. And I'd like to remedy that if it's even possible. And as for your classic podcast sign off, Uh, If you do want to help spread the word, please tell a friend about us. You can find Podsitivity on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Facebook, and YouTube. And on Facebook and YouTube, you can actually see pictures that go along with each story. And we also do have a Patreon. So if you sign up for that, it helps us pay for things like music rights and platform fees, which is always helpful. And if you sign up for that, you'll get the future episodes a couple days earlier and of course you will get a lot of gratitude from me and my family and with that i mean just know that i appreciate you without you this would be completely pointless (laughs) this is positivity i'm jolie hales and always remember you're worth more than you know